Well, I'm glad that we have my friend here, Dr. Chuck Harding. And God is just using him in an amazing way. He'll tell you some more about that. He's going to be preaching for us this morning. And, of course, we'll have him back again. But I'm thankful that he's here. He's busy. He's busy on Capitol Hill. And I'm glad that he's here today. Brother Harding, come preach for us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brother Walter. Appreciate that. And I, uh, I really enjoyed everything that has already transpired here. And I appreciate what your pastor said about salvation by grace through faith plus nothing in the Lord Jesus Christ at the age of 21. I believed that I was a Christian because I wasn't a Hindu or a Muslim or, you know, any other type of religion. So I was a Christian. And I believed the Bible was the Word of God. And I believed that there was a heaven again, hell to shun. And I believed that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. And I was on my way to hell. Because at the age of 21, even though I believed that Jesus Christ was the Savior... I had never accepted him as my savior. You know, the head knowledge is one thing, but moving it to your heart, that's everything. And there's a lot of people in hell today that will be there forever that believe the same way that I did. Oh, I hope I'm getting to heaven. I think I am. Uh, I'm working my way there. No, no, no. The work's already been done. Okay? By Jesus Christ's death on the cross in our place. Amen? Amen. And at the age of 21, someone showed that to me from the Bible at the Twin Oaks Baptist Church in Virginia. I drove for an hour and 45 minutes to get there. And uh, actually, I was pulled over by a police officer on the way back. <laughs> Since then, I've learned my, um, the right thing to say to police officers. And Austin here, I don't know about, uh, if anyone else picked up on the fact, he already has that persona of a police officer, okay? <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm learning for, I'm going to school to learn about law enforcement. (laughs) Give me my gift, let me sit down. (laughs) License and registration, please. (laughs) I love it, man. He's already there. (laughs) Well, I I enjoy young people so much. And and now, of course, you know, I've I've learned, but uh, I've learned what to say. When I'm pulled over, which happens every once in a while, I must confess. I start going from point A to point B, and I am a triple A personality, so I want to get there. And I start thinking, and my foot goes this way. And so every once in a while, I don't intend to. I'm not trying to, but I do exceed the speed limit. I'm confessing my sin. Any police officers here today? Okay, good. Any police officers in the overflow? Okay, good. Uh, But... uh, you know, I get pulled over and the officer says, uh, Mr. Harding, do you know why we pulled you over? Of course, he says license and registration. And uh, I say, uh, this is what, what I tell him. I tell him this. I said, sir, I do know because I looked at my speedometer when I saw your lights in my rearview mirror. <laughs> and then he waits for just a second. And this is what I say. I have no excuse. I was exceeding the speed limit. I'm guilty. And I deserve a ticket. But I'd like to ask you for your mercy. <laughs> you have no idea how many tickets I have gotten out of by doing that. So, Austin, if you ever pull me over, just wait for the speech, okay? All right, okay. But uh, I mean, every time, because you give no excuse. Everyone always has an excuse. I give no excuse. I'm guilty. I deserve a ticket. But when you ask them for their mercy, it's very interesting how that happens. Well, many years ago, I asked God for mercy that I was a sinner on my way to hell, that I understood then 
and as I do now, that God never sends anyone to hell. We send ourselves there by the wages of our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And I accepted the gift that day, that one time. And from that point to this, I've known for sure that my destination is heaven. Nothing will ever change that because God gave it to me. And as one of my good friends said to the Navajo tribe out in New Mexico when he was preaching uh, on eternal security, God's not an Indian giver. That's terrible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and he went, I mean, oh no, I mean, I mean. And they all laughed. And so, you know, he's, he's a bona fide crazy. Uh, and he got out there, uh, out of there with his, with his head intact. So that was a good, good thing. But uh, it's great. It's great to be here today, and uh, I want to speak to you for just a little bit on how we should live our lives so that we can see God honor our lives, so that we can be in line with God, so that God perhaps could give us a third great revival in our country. We began this nation from an awakening, from a revival. The thing that solidified us as a people through the 13 original colonies that became states was the fact that the largest percentage of our colonial population had accepted Jesus Christ as Savior or had been influenced dramatically by the gospel. And because of that, it gave us the tenacity to stand against unsurmountable odds, to do the impossible, because people realize that we serve the God of the impossible. And I truly believe as we began this country with the great revival a national revival that shook this country to its very foundations, that we continued with a second great revival. And I know I'm painting with a pretty broad brush here, but in the 1800s, and then God now, 200 years later, and it's been approximately 200 years be between the first and the second great awakening, I'd love to see a third great awakening revival, call it whatever you want, where people just cannot describe what is happening. People can't understand it. You know God shows up when people just simply have no explanation as to what's going on. People say, oh, that'll, that'll never happen, Brother Harding, because uh, look at everything that's going on in our society. That's exactly when God shows up. When God's people get into the right place themselves with Him. And so I want to talk about the duty that we have to live our lives and the young people just starting out, but even the mature Christian so that we can be where God wants us to be and uh, bring us into, I hope, uh, something that no, no one can uh, basically explain and uh, that everyone will be shaking their heads at. And uh, so that, I think, is very possible. And uh, so if you would please take your Bibles and go with me to Psalm 15. Psalm 15, we are very unique as Americans, not because we're better than anyone else, but because our founding fathers as a governing group of people said there is a God and God gives us certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. So these men said uh, to not just the people here in the United States, but to the world that we are going to acknowledge God. And an amazing thing, they went back to plan A. You say, we're talking about Brother Harding. Well, Israel was, of course, at one time a theocracy, you see. And they had a, a little bit of an election where they voted God out. You understand that, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 8. And they took God out and they put a king in his place. 
the judge system was just that. It was a presiding official over the nation of Israel that was connected to God for a certain amount of time. That's why we have a president, because it goes back to that presiding official of the judge system. We called ourselves the second Israel. We're not a theocracy. But by the way, we're not a democracy either. Okay, we're a republic. Amen. Big difference between the two. I don't have time to go into that right now. But in fact, the matter is that we are a people that rule by law, which is the Constitution of the United States based upon the Bible. So the will of people tempered by the rule of law through a multi-leveled representational government. That's who we are as a republic. But our founding fathers going back, they said we're going back to plan A and we're, we're going to take the sovereign of man's hearts and souls and make him the sovereign of this nation. I love the fact when they signed the Declaration of Independence, it was ratified. The cry went out, no, no king but King Jesus. That's an amazing thing. Now, why was that? Because these men were very unique in their character. These men who were intelligent, cultured, wealthy, were men that had an element of sacrifice that had been embedded in their very character by the gospel of Jesus Christ. By their parents, many times, in instances, sneaking them out at night to go listen to a man that was preaching under the threat of death by the state-run church. Baptistic forefathers of ours that were preaching with great passion and purpose and conviction, not even from a pulpit, from a stump of an old tree. No ceiling above them but the night sky. No walls around them but the Woods of the clearing that they had established as that makeshift sanctuary for people to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were telling them, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And we saw that servant attitude begin to promulgate itself within our citizens as people accepted Jesus Christ as Savior realizing that it wasn't confirmation to a state-run church, but a personal relationship. And our founding fathers, realizing this, they said, you know, this personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's also something that we should look at from a biblical standpoint that we can devise a self-governed concept so that people could actually govern themselves by the rule of law. We have America. Amazing thing. Our founding fathers, amazing men. Looking into James chapter 1 and verse 25, where that says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. That perfect law of liberty, the balance between law and liberty. Most of the nation's governances of the world have been great nations of law, but law without liberty, that's tyranny. There have been times when those Nations of law have toppled and there have been great freedom. But freedom without law, liberty without law, that's anarchy. But our founding fathers looked into the perfect law of liberty. They were not forgetful hearers, doers of the work they fought. And we sit here today without any threat of someone coming into this church and breaking up this assembly or stopping the building of your new building, worshiping under the tenets of the Holy Spirit of God and by the, the Bible and through and by the leadership of your pastor. We have no fear of someone interfering right now because other men died on battlefields because they gave that last good measure. Understanding some very pertinent things that we need to, you might say, reclaim again today. 
And so Psalm 15, this is David, the sweet psalmist. He's inquiring of the Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Uh, God tells him the different things of Psalm 15, verse 2 and 3. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. The truth in love. That's what that's talking about there. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. And look at this next phrase here. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. There are three elements right there that I'd like to look at today as far as our duty and how we should live our life so that God can honor our lives, our families, our churches, our state, and our nation with revivals that begin with us, first and foremost, between us and Him, and then spread from there. Heavenly Father, thank You now for loving us. And once again, thank You so much for this church, or for my friend, this pastor, for his family. Dear God, we pray now that You would enter into the service. Dear God, at this moment, create and maintain a hedge protection around this assembly. Bind off the wicked and the evil one. Dear God, we are simply sinners saved by grace. So thank you for that grace. Thank you for your mercy. And we pray for mercy this morning. We pray that you would just anoint the reading of thy word. Dear God, seal uh, this reading with your approval. Fathers, I step back. We pray that you would step forward. And once again, through and by thy provision and power and presence, dear God, speak to us. And Father, speak through me to each and every one of us Dear God, articulate these lips, clarify this mind, enlarge and enlighten our understanding. But most of all, we pray for that holy unction, that special anointing of your blessed and holy ghost upon us, Lord. And Father, we'll be very careful now to give you all the praise and glory for what you're about to do. For we ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior, and by the power and the merit and the authority that is the name of Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. And so we see, I believe... Too many times, historians saying America was born out of a revolution. May I say this? We really did not even have a revolution in the truest sense of the word. Because to have a revolution, you must have a period of anarchy where there's no functional government. We had a functional government all the way through the war for independence. It was the constitutional government under the Articles of Confederation that establishes as a nation. We had a president. We had several presidents. In fact, I ask this question a lot. Uh, who is the first president of the United States? And they say George Washington. I said, no, he's the ninth president of the United States. There were eight presidents before him under the Articles of Confederation, under the Continental Congress. He was the first president under the Constitution of the United States. By the way, that gave us a more perfect union. So guess what? We already had a union already back under the Declaration of Independence. Do you understand? Do you follow me? Okay, so what I'm saying is very unique. We don't understand how unique we are. I remember a senator who just got reelected, and the senator was feeling very good about himself. And so he wanted to go meet his, meet his constituents. And so they were going by a nursing home. And he said, let's go visit the dear people in the nursing home. I know a lot of them voted for me as well. So he walked in, again, feeling very good about himself. He walked up to the first lady right there, uh, one of the patients, and by the nursing station. And he said, do you know who I am? She said, oh, honey, don't worry about that. Ask the nurse. She'll tell you who you are. <laughs> See, we don't know who we are. We don't understand how unique we are. And again, it's not because we're better than anyone else. But it's because we live in a very unique nation. A nation that was 
founded upon the Word of God. The only major nation that was founded on God's Word aside from the nation of Israel. Amazing to me. This is where we are. This is who we are. And yet most people have no concept whatsoever. So glad for young people that are brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord under some intelligent biblical preaching that gives them their identity. A lot of young people have the identity crisis going on today. Amen? They don't know how unique they are as an American citizen. So what we need to understand is America was not founded on revolution. America was founded on revival. It was because of the gospel from Wycliffe's copying out the Bible in the 1300s into the common man's tongue. In the 1400s, Gutenberg printing the Bible. Those prayers that shaped America, the foundations that sustain America, the sacrifice that defines America, these timeless truths were all born out of revival in the hearts and minds of our forefathers that came here with an inexhaustible, unstoppable strategy that was fueled and fired by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The embarkation of the separatists on the speedwell that actually sprung a leak and they had to get on another ship that hangs in the rotunda of the capital of the United States show people around a Bible. The Bible is the center of that painting. And why were those 106 people pulled on to that ship? They were actually a church. The pastor had his head cut off. And the associate pastor liked his head where it was. So I said, well, we need to embark and go somewhere else so we can worship under the tenets of God's Word how we believe we should. And so they got onto that boat and crossed the Atlantic. They prayed, dear God, help us to get across this expanse of Atlantic Ocean. And we promise you in so many words... We're going to establish a nation for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to do it through and by thy name and for thy glory, for thy purpose. And so we see these people coming here to this country for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of America is truly miraculous because it is the story of a nation that was born out of revival of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thousands of people getting saved. Where meetings broke convention and we see the tradition bypassed I, I like being independent baptist because we're not about tradition necessarily amen we're about biblical principles amen where tradition backs up principles i'm there when it doesn't i'm nowhere to be found amen because god's word is first and foremost that's why i like being a baptist because baptists are biblicists amen it makes it real easy to be a Baptist. Uh, this man I knew one time, good preacher, he had three things on the front of his Bible. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. When he grew in grace, he said, I can take that middle part out because whether I believe it or not, if God says it, that settles it. Amen. Amen? And so I like the fact that we have a constitution based upon the Bible, 28 biblical principles in the Constitution of the United States. That's why the history of these United States is an astonishing chapter one of the most astonishing chapters in all the annals of history. Our founding fathers, very unique men. But they had some qualities that I believe that we could also emulate. They had some things, you see, these men that lived their lives through and by, I believe, a consuming fire. They had some things that I believe right here in verse 4 it talks about. I want to look at these few things today and just go through them quickly, but 
succinctly because what I am about to tell you is something that could change each and every one of our lives if we truly looked at God's Word as the, you might say, benchmark of how to live our life in this way. Number one, it says in verse 4, He that sweareth. You know what that's talking about? An oath. Now, no matter what type of organization you join or if you become a police officer or a paramedic or any kind of medical field where some of you are going to be uh, therapists, you, you know, it's, there's a Hippocratic oath, right? There's an oath that police officers take. There's an oath that when you take, go to the military, you take. And oaths are very important because of solemn affirmation, declaration made with an appeal to God for a truth that is affirmed. So we need to live our lives by oath. A person says these words with a hand raised to God or over the heart, making them accountable to God for their oath. This is one of the main elements of revival that can happen if we start living our lives by an oath about asking God to purpose in our heart to do certain things. Let me ask you this. Is anyone here praying for revival, national revival? That's a rhetorical question, so you don't need to raise your hand. But why haven't we seen some national revivals lately? Maybe because we're not praying for a national revival. Let me ask you this. How many believe that God's still a God of miracles? Is God still a God of miracles or not? Sure He is. Each and every one of us that knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is a walking, talking miracle. Amen? I, I myself know I was a wild young man at the age of 21. I'd be dead and in hell today if it wasn't for the Lord. But I'm not there. I'm here with you good folks. I'm kind of excited about that. Amen? I, I mean, look, I think the problem is sometimes we get over the fact that we're saved. Amen? I don't want to get over the fact that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to go back to that same time and place where I accepted God and get that excitement all over again. See? God's a God of miracles. He is willing to perform miracles for us today like He did yesteryear. Didn't the Lord say I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever? That means, let me ask you a question. If you really truly believe that God's a God of miracles, are you praying? Do you have some miracles on your prayer list? See, there's where the rubber meets the road. Okay? Too often, we sell ourselves short. God wants to show Himself mighty on our behalf. We need to start living by oaths and saying, God, I want you to completely revolutionize, revolutionize my whole thought and prayer life. I want to start praying for some big things for myself, for my family, for my church family, for my church, for my state, for my nation. I want to start praying some big things, you see. And I'm not talking about that guy that Ask the Lord, Lord, to you, what is a million dollars? And then God said, well, a million dollars to me is like a penny. Okay. Uh, Lord, to you, what, what is a, a, a thousand years? And God said, well, a thousand years to me is like a minute. So he thought, Lord, can I have a penny? And God said, wait a minute. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Just wanted to see if you're with me or not, Okay. I'm not talking about praying for those miracles that will be of shallowness to your soul. But I'm talking about praying for some miracles and saying, God, I'm going to put this on my prayer list. And unless you do this, it's not going to get done. So I want to start praying and asking you for some miraculous things in my life. And see God show up. God can do that. I live on two and a half acres of wooded area right outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. That's a miracle. You understand? 
I mean, and you know what I prayed for? I prayed for two and a half acres when I moved back there. I said, Lord, I've never lived anywhere but in the suburbs, and I'd like to have some property. And it was almost like, you know, the devil came back and said, you're going to pray for property when you're moving back to Washington, D.C.? That ain't going to work. I said, Lord, not only would I like two and a half acres, I like my house in the middle of it, so I went up to see my neighbors, okay? And I'd like a full basement. I'd like two-car garage. And the first house I looked at had a two-car garage, full basement on two and a half acres. But it was way, way out of my budget. I mean, there's no way I could have afforded it. But I said, Lord, you can do anything you want to. I'm praying for a miracle, okay? Well, it was sold. I said, Lord, I'm just going to continue to believe. I'm going to stand against unbelief. I'm going to continue to believe. And guess what? That house came back on the market it fell through whatever financing they tried to get through. That doesn't happen in Washington, D.C. area. You understand? On a house on two and a half acres right outside of D.C., that never happens. It came on the market a second time. I still couldn't afford it. But this time the guy had dropped it drastically, but I still couldn't afford it. I said, Lord, I'm just going to continue to pray, and I'm going to continue to believe you. Looked at some other houses, found out the house came on the market a third time, not just the first, second time, but a third time came back on the market. Every time someone tried to buy it, it fell through. So I went and I talked to the guy and he had one mattress, one chair, and, and one table in the house. And his wife had already moved to Florida. She said, don't come until you sold the, sold the house. He was a motivated seller. <laughs> and he had dropped the price so significantly that I could actually afford to put a bid in that range. And so I put a bid in on it. And my realtor, and she was a little Jewish lady, very smart thing to get a Jewish realtor. <laughs> They're very good with money. She said, look, if you want to have a chance of your house falling through again, choose one of the other authors. They may be higher than my people, but my people are going to move right in. They're, they're pre-qualified. They'll take good care of your home. I could tell you had some pride of ownership in his little Cape Cod, a beautiful little, little Cape Cod. And guess whose offer he took? Guess who wakes up on two and a half acres with a house right in the middle? Two-car garage with a full basement. Right outside of Washington, D.C. We have deer. I showed... Did I show you the picture of the deer? We have deer walking through our front yard every day. My wife's a city girl. She feeds the deer in the wintertime. She feeds them seed corn and stuff like that. And she said, you can't shoot these. Because I've named them. I said, well, honey... I've named them too. She said, you have? I said, yes. That one's roast. That one's backstrap. There's jerky right there. There's some sausage. <laughs> she doesn't get the humor. But in any case, uh, what I'm saying, hey, that's an amazing thing. Now, I'll tell you why. The reason why I took an oath and I said, God, I'm going to start praying for some miracles. I'm going to believe you against unbelief. Our founding fathers stood against the greatest military of the world and they stood alone with truth of God's word. And before they mutually pledged, giving an oath to each other, they said, with firm reliance upon divine protection, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Young people, everyone here today, we need to live our life by some oaths. Certain things I've told God in my life. Certain things I've learned in my prayer life. Lord, I will never put my head on my pillow Again, not until I pray for certain things for my country, for my friends, for the pastors that I know. I pray for two. No, look, I'm nobody. I know exactly what I am. I'm an old Gentile dog saved by the grace of God. I'm a hell-deserving sinner that's on his way to heaven. Amen? I know what I am, but I also know who God is. And let me just brag on God. I pray for over 270 pastors every day by name. Every day. That's just my pastor's list. 
Say, how long does it take you to get through your prayer list? It varies every day. In the morning, noon, and at night. But I get through it every day. I took an oath with God. I'm going to pray certain things every single day before I put my head on the pillow at night. I'll never live another day in my life where I'm still in my right mind, which I hope it's till the day that I die, that I won't do certain things that I've told God. I'm going to do this by an oath. I'm making myself accountable to you. We need to start making ourselves accountable to God and changing our prayer life and seeing God show up and perform miracles for us, you see. Our founding fathers realized something. Honor is above life. Our founding fathers realized they were going to fight, but they are going to fight based upon the belief of the oath that God was going to fight for them. I kind of like that, don't you? That's why we have an oath to our flag. That's why we have an oath to one another. That's why men and women take oaths at the altar. So many times those are broken. But number two, not just by an oath, but see what the second thing says? He that sweareth to his own hurt. It's talking about sacrifice. That's something that is offered to God, a surrender of oneself. Sometimes we know we're going to suffer loss for a purpose that is greater than ourselves. Oh, I can't do that. I might be inconvenienced. Huh? I can't do that. I, I might come out on the short end of the stick. See, so many times our country is so profit-orientated that we understand all the profit margins, but we lack understanding of what sacrifice is. Every single person in here is called to buy, uh, upon, by your pastor to sacrifice all the time. Sacrificial giving. Right? That's how the building is going to be built, by your sacrificial giving. But may I say this? When you sacrifice something to God, it's never, ever going to go without His notice, His honor, and giving you back that plus a lot more. God will be a debtor to no man. Amen. Something I found out a long time ago. You're ever in debt, increase your giving, and you'll get out of debt. Yeah, because the Christian life is just that. It's an oxymoron. It's just strange in how it works. How do you, you want to be exalted? Then abase yourself. Huh? I mean, become a servant. You understand? That is, the way up is down in the Christian life. The way to get is to give. Amen? Amen? We were in the vice president's uh, Bible study reading. Uh, that we'd just been invited to, went for the first time. And uh, Mike, Mike Pence and, and the other people, and, and I, I, they were talk, we were talking about treasure. I said, well, treasure is something that you give to God. It's something of God that you give simply back to Him. And the, there was a great missionary of yesteryear. He said what? He said, he, he is no fool to give that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You know, I'm glad for pastors that really encourage people to give. You know why? Because when we stand before the beam of seat, we'll all... Basically, join that chorus, I wish I had given him more. Huh? Every one of us. The big regret that we'll have when we get to heaven is that we didn't give him as much as we could have of ourselves, of our time, of our talents, of our resources, you see. That's sacrificial living, you see. To have a revival, there must be an element of sacrifice. And praying is sacrifice. Getting in that quiet place with God. 
It says in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him. Who? Who do you dwell with, Lord? With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Okay. To revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. Wow. I want to be that person. I want to be in those high and lofty places, Lord, spiritually with you. I want to know your thoughts. Do you want to know God's thoughts? I want to know God's thoughts. You know why? Because my thoughts are boring. Amen? I don't want it. I don't want my thoughts. I want God's thoughts. Albert Einstein, he's a pretty smart fella. He said, I want to know the thoughts of God. Everything else is just details. I want to know the thoughts of God. Boy, that should be our impetus for wanting to go forward. The many mighty elements of self-sacrifice has given us this country. That's who we are. That's how we are defined. Let me ask you a question. Our documents, Declaration of Independence, right? Constitution of the United States, all biblically based. By the way, you know who Israel was. You know what their constitution was. Their constitution was the Bible, the Pentateuch. That was their constitution, basically. Amen? Our constitution based upon the Bible, but ours been in, they, they've been in on display they're in the National Archives. Declaration of Independence, Constitution of the United States, Bill of Rights. So let me ask you a question. Why haven't there been a multitude of countries that have not done what we did and used those documents to form nations like America, to have the peace and prosperity of America? Everyone wants the peace and prosperity of America. Huh? No one's trying to get into any of the stands. Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, no one's trying to get over there. Right? I, I tell people, oh, you like that? Go. Okay? But everyone's trying to come here. Why? Because we have peace and prosperity. You understand? Why is that? <clears throat> and why haven't more countries then adopted the tenets in the Declaration of the Constitution? You know why? Because there have been very few and next to none of those governance, those people over the governance of that nation that have been willing to sacrifice like our founding fathers did. That's why. Sacrifice. That's what they had. That's what we need. We need an element of sacrifice to realize, hey, I'm going to do something beyond myself by giving all of myself. James uh, 1 and verse 25. Again, they looked into the perfect law of liberty. They were willing to do the work. We're beneficiaries of their blessings. Washington said to see men without clothes to cover their nakedness without blankets to lie on, without shoes by which the marches must, might be traced by the blood from their feet, almost as often without provisions as with marching through frost and snow and at Christmas taking up their winter quarters within a day's march of the enemy without a house or a hut to cover them, laying down the snow, laying down in the snow. You have snow up here, right? I know you do. I've seen it, okay? Imagine going out and laying down the snow with some hay or some, some leaves without enough clothes to even cover your body without even a cover over you and doing it without murmuring. George Washington said, because what we're doing is going to settle the fate of millions of people that will come after us. Parents, what you're doing is going to play into the fate of these young people and how they conduct their lives. Thank God for these young people and the spirit that I saw when they were coming up and talking to the pastor. And it's kind of interesting. They all know what they want to do. 
I, I kind of like that. All varied uh, professions, that's a good thing. Amen? But the reason why we have this opportunity is because someone else was willing to sacrifice. My uncle, he was a navigator in one of the big bombers of World War II. Flew over Germany and actually successfully completed all of his missions. Could have gone home. But he said, no, I'm not going home until the war's over. They said, look, you can go home and sell bonds. You can be safe. You understand? If you ask us to put you on another bombing crew, you're going to basically have your chance of being shot down exponentially multiplied. Well, he was shot down. Plane crash landed. He got out miraculously, unscathed. But he heard some of his crew members inside crying for help, caught. And he ran back into that burning aircraft with the aviation fuel spilling out everywhere, reached through the fire and pulled two men literally out and saved two lives, got the distinguished flying cross. Burned badly over the top part of his body. Said he was taken to a hospital where they were experimenting on medical technology and the treatment of burns because they'd never seen burns this badly before. Aviation fuel burned very hot, very deeply, very quickly. He said, I didn't believe my body could give me so much pain. I looked forward to passing out. They would immerse us in saline solutions, not knowing how much salt to put in the water. I could hear the men screaming all over the hospital. I joined in the chorus, and then I passed out. I remember him telling me that as a little boy, his nephew, and my Uncle Jack pulling up his shoulder, um, pulling up his sleeve to show me his shoulder down to his arm and, and the horrible scars. He said, this is what happened, nephew. I didn't know, understand then what he was doing. I understand now. He was showing me, this is what I did for you. Yeah. Amen. This sacrifice I, I paid so you could live free. How many sacrifices have been paid so we could live free. And what should it do for us to cause us to want to sacrifice at least time in prayer, our talents? When the pastor says, time to give, oh, then do it hilariously. You know? The music starts playing. Hey, hey! Not, not like that person that, that throws up their money and says, Lord, take whatever you want. Send the rest back. Uh, the Navajo thing, yeah, yeah. But what, but what I'm saying is, folks, do you have that element of sacrifice where you're living for others? See, that's something that we have forgotten about. Number three and last. We need to live a life by oath, sacrificial, in every aspect of our life. Praying for our country, praying for a revival in our minds and our hearts. Let, let me ask you this. You know, if you're sacrificial, before I go to the third one, if you're sacrificial, that means you forgive people. Real easy. Huh? You don't harbor any bitterness nor grudge. That's being sacrificial. That's living as, well, you don't understand what they did, Brother Harding. doesn't make any difference. Well, they never apologized. doesn't make any difference. Are we not supposed to be Christ-like? Did not the Lord say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do when he was being crucified? Should we not be the same? Do you understand how many times people in the ministry are slighted and vesting their lives in someone else and get the dagger stuck between the third and the fourth rib? 
turn around and say, oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> I know you didn't mean that, you know, and forgive them. Something I found out a long time ago, it's very liberating to forgive people their transgressions Amen. towards you. That's sacrificial. See, the problem with pastors a lot of times today, that they, the problem that they have is walking around burping church people. Come here. Uh, come here. Need a burp? Uh, because too many times church members are walking around like, like this. Well, you don't understand. He didn't even say hello to me today. He didn't shake my hand. Don't trip over your bottom lip. Well, this person slighted me. This person... Yeah, I get that. I get that. But sacrificial means that you give yourself to the Lord and you forget. these. If you forgive, I know you can't forget, but you forgive these things. Number three, determination, resolve. Our forefathers fought with weapons in one hand and they built a nation with the other. They had a resolve in their hearts that challenged others who wavered in there. You understand, these few men stood alone with the truth. Uh, Winston Churchill, one of my favorite characters in history. Love Winston Churchill. The guy stood up against the Nazis and all of Great Britain stood up with him. I mean, they were thinking about suing for peace with Mussolini, with with the Nazis. <clears throat> we could have been, all been speaking German today. But one man stood up with the truth. Amazing to me. And... Our founding fathers of 56 men stood up with the truth against odds that really there's no way you could have even imagined any victory aside from God's miraculous help. I, I love Winston Churchill's comments, his outspokenness. and He had a nemesis by the name of Lady Astor. And Lady Astor one time said, Winston Churchill, she didn't like his comments because he was a hawk. He spoke his mind against the enemies of Great Britain. She said, if you were my husband, I should put poison in your tea. He said, Lady Astor, if you were my wife, I should drink it. <laughs> Winston Churchill was not a teetotaler. He did abide. Not, I, I don't agree with that, obviously. Uh, but he did. And one time he was uh, three sheets to the wind. He was a little snookered. And she came over and she said, Winston Churchill, I believe you're inebriated. He said, Lady Astor, I believe you're ugly. <laughs> but tomorrow I shall be sober. <laughs> Winston Churchill stood up against the Nazis. All of Great Britain stood up with him. One man alone with the truth. I like your pastor because your pastor says, I don't care if the whole crowd is going that way. Christians are supposed to be going the opposite way of the world. Try that sometime after a sporting event. Oh, I forgot something and go against the crowd. See how easy that is physically. It's even more difficult spiritually. We walk on Capitol Hill where I'm sorry to say a lot of Capitol Hill is going in the opposite direction that we're going in. And we walk, walk in and we walk against the flow quite often. But we've done it because we've resolved to do certain things, you see. Another good guy in history that I like, even though he took some 
liberties with the Constitution was Teddy Roosevelt. And I love Teddy Roosevelt just because of his tenacity, his resolve, his determination. You do know when he was trying to run for the president for a second term under a third-party ticket that someone shot him. Anyone ever heard that story? You know that Teddy Roosevelt, someone tried to kill him? And I mean, he came up almost point-blank range and shot him with a high-powered handgun. It went through his metal glass case, through the speech that he had, folded pretty considerably, and then through his very muscular chest and didn't puncture but lodged against his lung and in a rib. Didn't even knock him off his feet. Oh, Teddy just backed up a few inches and, and got a handkerchief and plugged his the hole and said, bring that man to me. And they brought him over and he dismissed him with a glare that would kill most people. And they said, Mr. President, we're going to get you to the hospital. And he said, no, I'm not going to the hospital. Sir, you've just been shot. You're in shock. He said, I know I've just been shot, but I'm not in shock. And I have 4,000 people plus waiting for me to go hear me speak. And I'm going to go and make that speech. I'm going to go and make that speech or die. So either help me or get out of the way. Well, they knew better than to argue with Teddy. So they got him over to the place as quickly as they could. And sure enough, the MC and 4,000 people plus are waiting to hear Teddy Roosevelt speak under the Bull Moose Party. And he says to the audience... President Roosevelt's here, but he's been shot. Well, you could hear a pin drop. But he's still here. He's going to speak to us for a few minutes. So he walks out. He says, that's true. I've been shot. But it takes more than that to kill an old bull moose. And he pulled back his shirt and showed them the bullet hole. Took out his speech, a bullet hole, and it was drenched in blood. The women were kind of, you know, a little, a little gasping and screams going on. And he said, okay. He said, I know the speech anyway. And I'll be fine. He puts the handkerchief back in and closes his coat again and begins to speak. I've seen documentaries. I, don't, I can't hear, but I've seen it when, he's been, when he was speaking there with a bullet in him. He said, I'm not going to be able to speak as long as I normally do, but I, I've been having it a one time in life and I'm having it right now. And so he started to speak. Several times the people came to their feet with a standing ovation. He spoke for an hour with a bullet hole in him filled up his cowboy boot, one of the cowboy boots, with blood. Finally said, I'm getting a little lightheaded. I need to go get this attended. <laughs> While everyone was up on their feet crying, Teddy, 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 Teddy. And he went and the doctors said, this is the most muscular man we've ever had on our table. The sheer mass of his muscle in his chest slowed that bullet down enough to where it didn't take his life by puncturing his lung. Didn't have the technology in those days to reinflate a lung and that, those type of things. The author said this was the quintessential Roosevelt, cheating death to live and fight another day. You see, in the Christian life, there's some determination that's needed, some resolve that's needed. Don't you think? I want to ask you a question. What is it going to take to stop you from living a Christian life? Young people, there's power in purity. You want power with God? Keep yourself pure in your mind, your heart, and your body. Keep yourself pure before God because there's power with God in purity. What I'm saying is, as our founding fathers once said, this is a fight that we're in. If you love tranquility, love wealth greater than these animating contests for freedom, Go home from us in peace. We seek not your counsel, nor your arms. 
Crouch down and lick the hand that feeds you and may posterity forget that you are our countrymen. See, a lot of times Christians are bowing down and they're licking the boots of those things that make them prosperous instead of fighting. These aspects, these three aspects of our life, sacrifice, the oath of life, the resolve of life. How can we do these three things? Truly, I believe by following Him, who said, Wist not that I must be about my Father's business. How can we live a life of oath, sacrifice, dedication? By looking to Him who said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is yet day. Who said, The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And by the way, there may be some people here that were in the same boat that I was in when I was 21. You believe that Jesus Christ was the Savior, is the Savior, but you've never accepted Him as your personal Savior. Look, don't walk out of here without knowing for sure that you're going to heaven. I hope I'm getting, uh, getting into heaven. I, I think I am. I'm going to see if my good will outweigh my, my bad. No, no, no. <laughs> There's no balances like that because we are sinners. And the wages of sin is death. Because God says that it's not by the righteousness of any man, lest any man should boast. So I'm going to ask you today, as we close this service and I'm done, two questions. Number one, are you the type of Christian that's living a life of oath? Do you have miracles on your prayer list that you're praying for? Are you praying for some big things? for yourself, your family, for your church, for your city, your state, your country? Do you believe that God is the God of the impossible? Are you sacrificing the, that element of sacrifice? Are you having a resolve to do whatever God wants you to do no matter what comes? I mean... I've talked to people where they say, you know, you come, like your pastor said, you come to church next Sunday. Uh, there used to be a time where my wife and I, at the very beginning of our Christian life, we said, are, are we going to go to church tonight? Because it was a habit then. We never have that discussion. If church is on, we're there. Amen. Amen. And there are those people, though, that have all those excuses, oh, I couldn't come to church because I had a little sniffle, I had this, that, or the other. At Teddy Roosevelt went and gave a political speech with a bullet in him. Huh? You understand what I'm saying? We need to have some resolve, some tenacity in our prayer life. Oh, I'm too tired. Don't, can't get my devotions done. Hogwash. We need to have our devotions every single day. We need to do certain things every day. We need to start living life of oath. We've had it too easy for too long. And let me just say this. If we don't start doing some introspection, God's going to do it. And I would much rather do it than Him. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Don't walk out of here without knowing for sure that you have a home in heaven by simply knowing how to ask for the gift of eternal life. 
I'm a sinner, Lord. I know the wages of my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Lord, you said, if I confess my sin and come to you, that you'll save me. That's all you need to do. You turn from your way to his way. You accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, confessing you're a sinner, and you have the gift of eternal life. It's very easily, very easily done. So, two invitations today. One, to live our life by an oath, sacrifice, and resolve. Two, if we've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that we simply come to the knowledge of the truth. So I'm going to close now. and Ten minutes over time, so thank you for your attention. And it's hot in here, isn't it? But it's a lot hotter in hell. Say, Brother Harding, why do you say that? Because Jesus Christ spent more time speaking about hell than heaven. I don't want anyone that I'm looking at right now to ever experience the lake of fire where the fire is not quenched and the smoke of their torment ariseth forever. So I want to ask, just as we close today, all eyes closed, all heads bowed, if you would, please. Is there anyone here today that would say, Brother Harding, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, but, you know, like you said, like the pastor talked about, I've never accepted Him as my personal Savior. And I've never even heard about that until today. I've been hoping to get to heaven, but you said that the Bible says we can know that we're going to heaven. Now, Brother Harding, would you pray for me that I come to the knowledge of the truth. No one's looking around with the pastor and I. You say, Brother Harding, I just want to know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven, that I have a home in heaven, and that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, that I've accepted that gift of eternal life. Brother Harding, pray for me. Here's my hand. Just lift your hand up and right back down, and I'll pray for you. Anyone like that today? Don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven, but, oh, I'd like to know before I walked out of here today. No one's going to come to you. We're not going to embarrass you. But if you want me just to pray for you, you can lift your hand up right now, and I will. How many would say, Brother Harding, I know for sure, based upon the Bible, that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I know I have a home in heaven. Here's my hand as testament to that. Here's my hand. I know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Thank you so much. And thank you for your honesty. Those that couldn't raise their hand then, would you just slip your hand up now? Just let me pray for you. Don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I do not know. I see that hand. Yes, thank you. One young lady took some courage. Don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I'd like to know anyone else to join this one that just raised her hand. Don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, Brother Harding. Remember me in that prayer. How many would say, Brother Harding, something that you said, God spoke to my heart about living a life by oath, about having a greater prayer life, by living a life of sacrifice for others, and giving my time, my talents, by living a life of determination. Brother Harding, please pray for me. Something that you said, the Holy Spirit of God touched my heart. Here's my hand. Pray for me, Brother Harding. Yes, hands everywhere. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to turn the invitation over to the pastor. And you do what God wants you to do in this invitation time. God bless you.